It's one of the few reasonably internal arts, but there's a very practical yes-no lever, right? Yeah. You absorb the strike well or you don't, and you know that you didn't because you're crying. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? Yeah, mustn't gravel. Yeah, I'm, I'm at my house, which is always a plus. Yeah. So that's, that's just, <laughs> it's not a bad place to work. It's all right. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly tasty little environment. It's not too bad. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I've been wanting to get you on for a little while because um, you have a, a range of interesting expertise. I think uh, you, you integrate a lot of knowledge from a lot of different areas, and, and I always enjoy our extended pub chats and uh, and your reflections on how Systema compares to lots of things in your background, um, but in particular to kind of your profession, which is traditional Chinese medicine and applications thereof and yeah. all of that as well. So Yeah, I guess they're they're not all that dissimilar from how I see it. Like if you go a little bit farther out from this is how we do that, they're both yeah. studies of how the body's hooked together, how that works, what's the nature of those changes when you're in relationship with someone else, yeah. how your state of mind affects the function and positioning of your body, how the functioning and position of your body can work yeah. the other way and affect state of mind. So for me, the study of my craft is yeah. very much also, the thing that led me to that is also a thing that I find fascinating in Sistema. It's a kind of a, a place where I can play with those ideas um, with my body rather than just have it as a cognitive exercise. Gotcha. Cool. So so let's start with that. Let's start with that, um, that impulse. Like what led you to this, to the dual study of... Um, of martial arts on the one hand and of um, healing modalities or understanding understanding people in the world and um, and things through healing modalities as well like which came first um, hard to know I was always super interested in how things got hooked together mm. um, so I remember when I was a kid my brother and I had the box full of all the broken electronics and we mm. would take them apart and see how they worked yeah. he was more interested in um, how the capacitors worked, and he ended up being more of a hard scientist. I just liked the way that they fit together. I couldn't understand how the thing that did that thing was so small and fit in those little parts. Or uh-huh. my mom would get us what are called animal um, owl pellets. Do you know what an owl pellet is? Like the undigested remains. Yeah, they cough them back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Museum of Science, where I grew up, used to sell boxes of them. Okay. So we would go through and pick them apart with tweezers and little scissors and find the skeletons and see if we could, how much of a, how much of that um, vole skeleton could we recreate through these things. So it was just a puzzle game when I was a kid. So that started, um, I guess the martial arts, just being a boy, being able to kick ass is a kind of cool thing. Uh Um, I never, I didn't get into it super young. My brother was the martial artist. I was a gymnast as a kid. Cool. So there's also that, um, oddity of younger brother where everything my big brother did must be the thing that I should be trying. Yeah, totally. So eventually I got into the martial arts and um, I enjoyed it. I trained for a couple years as a teenager and then went about my life and it wasn't a main thing. And then probably in my early to mid-20s, I got back into the martial arts and then I've been training pretty consistently in different systems since then. Cool. What kinds of things have you tried, just for context? Um, so when I was a kid, the, the the standard three months of Wing Chun and three months of Aikido and that mm-hmm. type of stuff. 
And then um, more seriously, I trained for about four years in an Escrima line, like a Dosipedis variant. Mm -hmm. And then I trained um, for another handful of years in a kind of mixed combative um, paradigm. Um, that teacher had a very long um, Pekidia background and a Hari Maus Salat, so very Southeast Asian Kali's and Salat's. Okay. With a combative focus, he was a professional. So he's um, focused on function more than on form. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so there was definitely, he understood that there, the function was necessity, but there's a right and wrong way to try to get that function. That, that mm. there's a, you can't brute force your way to an effective solution. Mm. Uh, it was harder for him to convince people of that because he was a giant hulk of a guy. <laughs> but he, if you knew what you were looking at, he moved like butter, you know, yeah. so... So that that went there, and then we moved again. I was semi-nomadic for most of my, my life, so we moved again, and then we found ourselves in New York. I had heard about Sistema just through the grapevine of being in the martial arts scene, yeah. and um, had, had been a little bit of exposure to it from meeting someone who trained or doing a private while I was somewhere where a teacher was recommended, but never uh, like a really serious study. And I got to meet and work with Edgar's up mm -hmm. in New York. So, Edgar's schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got to train with him for about a year and a half. So that was my first like taste of it as a genuine student. Yeah. And then we moved down here and I met you guys and been with your group for, I guess, about five years now. Yeah, feels like maybe six, nearly six, right? Well, maybe I don't six. think so. I think we just moved to town just shy, just past five years ago. Wow. So, and we okay. were training with you from the day we came to visit. Right. Yeah. One of the things that, one of the things on our to do list of like let's check out that was like oh there's a group there that's another check on the list because yeah. um, my wife also was training with yeah. Edgar's and she had a different but. A pretty decent martial arts background before that and we were both pretty into Sistema so finding a place where we both wanted to live mm. the the idea of a training group was valuable to both of us so I think we sure. came to meet you in the group when we were just coming down for a fact-finding mission sure yeah so it, was a, it was a strong pull hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it was cool. definitely definitely there were there was nowhere else that had the normal parts of life that we wanted as much here. Like we were mm. even looking at this area before we got into Sistema. Mm. And then when we went looking around, nothing else had the equal pull. Plus there was the added benefit is, oh, there's a group of people that do this thing that we're now very interested in. So right. yeah. it was a, a pretty easy um, yeah. weight on the scale. What, what about the, the medical track? How did you find your way towards that? Can you describe what it is that you do now and then maybe how you come up to it? Um, so what it is I do now is, I guess, doctor of Chinese medicine, which doesn't really mean much to anyone who's not in the know, so to speak, but mm -hmm. I'm an acupuncturist and a clinical herbalist. Mm -hmm. um, I do a minimal amount of supplementation, but a lot focused on diet and in that way also focused on lifestyle. How do you navigate what you put in and what you put out in a way that will either keep you healthy, but mm. that's the rarity that a healthy person comes to me and wants to stay healthy, but mm. how can we see what has happened to you and what you have done to yourself that has led you to the place where you're sick in this way mm. with 
so few options left that you're willing to talk to someone like me and then we kind of reverse engineer that cut out the bad stuff try to add some good stuff and that comes in a lot of different permutations totally yeah and you've, you've definitely definitely been a huge help to well to me and my family i treated everybody in my immediate family now like, not your daughter <laughs> yeah. oh no i guess not cora yeah <laughs> she seems extremely robust for now so we'll see yeah that'll be an all new problem to deal with but yeah it's only my son and uh, my wife heather and and then uh, by extension like a, a good portion of the systemic group as well they've come yeah. to you for one thing or another so yeah there's a handful of them and it's very weird um learning to navigate that many different complexities of relationships is definitely mm-hmm. tricky on my end because like on the mats you're my teacher and at the bar or on text message jokes we're buddies and yeah. then in the office i'm the doctor and so, each one of those is a very very solid relationship mm. But the the shifting authority or power, however you want to phrase it, the like dynamics, it, yeah, it's it's complex, and I'm mm-hmm. starting to have that with more and more people in my social group, which oh, yeah. is very odd. It's mm. very selfishly, I often don't recommend Systema training to my patients, mm. even the ones that I think would value from it, because it's it's really something that I. I keep almost covetous in sure. my life. It's a place where I get to not be the doctor. I get to study, not have to teach. Yeah. So, like, I really like having that, and I can make the dirty jokes, and I cannot be right. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got somebody showing you their growth every five minutes or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do that after class. I just don't, I don't want to worry about the details that I might know about someone's life while in the training context. Yeah. Like, there's a different level of of something i don't know how to articulate it but it makes it quite awkward i know what you mean yeah i mean i've, I've i think most instructors have to feel like they have to balance that a lot as well you yeah know, like on the other end of it i'm like you know i'm your mate in the pub i'm mm-hmm. your patient in the clinic and i'm your instructor on the mat right so yeah. i have different motivations in those three different scenarios and yeah. i have to make sure i make a full switch otherwise mm-hmm. i'm being too matey when what i really need to be is like clear or something as yeah. an instructor or i'm being you know, or, or claiming or assuming too much authority when what I really need to do is listen, you know, when we're yeah. in the clinic, so things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, so, and I guess, like I said before, I moved around a lot, so um, from just, like, at a personal level, I've not been in a place for this long since I was about 16, hmm. so just building relationships that... Um, expand over time Mm. and then doing so as an adult with all the weight of experience weight and baggage i guess come both Mm. of experience and all that like trying to navigate those things in in a more mature context where the places where we help each other out are not like just a teenage buddy right they're they're different relationships between men or men and women but adults and navigating those is Definitely a, a new challenge and stuff. <laughs> yeah, totally. But but before you're um oh, before, before the tra- yeah before the tra- traditional Chinese medicine you I were was involved a nurse. in yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I worked um surgical intensive care down in New Orleans for mm-hmm. a handful of years. Mm-hmm. Um and then before that or the way I got into that is I became an EMT mm-hmm. um in New Orleans and then I was looking to do the whole paramedic flight nurse. I thought that would be fun and exciting. That was pretty cowboy medicine being uh, hmm. EMT in New Orleans. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but um, 
just for flukes of convenience and availability and things like that, the option of going um, nursing school to get a little bit more kind of theoretical background was interesting because yeah. it was like, oh, wow, we can do these things. How do those work? So I got a little bit more fascinated in biology at a practical level. Mm -hmm. um, and then nursing school was interesting as I was being a nurse. I realized that the, the practice of nursing um, was fun in the emergency, but didn't really, I didn't suit it and it didn't suit me for long term. I mm. was good for critical care. You give me two people that are mostly dead and I'll have them no less dying by mm. the morning, mm. but eight people that are just navigating their suffering as they're getting better on their own, mm. I'm not well suited for. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So, so yeah, and I wanted... I wanted more information. I've always been a little bit um, greedy about information. Nah, really? Nah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never and, noticed that. Yeah. yeah. And not always in the most flattering way. <laughs> certainly half personality and half pathology, but it suits me all right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I was looking for something that could address the problems that we were asked to so I wasn't asked to solve the problems as a nurse. I was just kind of keeping the subjects alive while the doctors were doing mm. whatever their weird doctor magic was. Mm. And it didn't seem like very viable solutions. So I figured mm. I wanted to know more to understand how that was happening. And mm. people on that side of the fence, there were enough of them and they were very good. So I started mm. looking at what are other ways to kind of look at this that may be able to offer a different perspective or solution that's not available because mm. the available solutions are running down the same roads, right? Mm. Same types of people getting same types of problems, ending up with the same types of surgery, dying of the same infections. It was not particularly interesting outside of the day's struggle, right? Like yeah. keep this guy alive for 12 hours is fascinating regardless mm. of it. But like, yeah, that, it, it didn't need me in it, and I okay. needed something to do that felt um, more interesting or more um, more viable, so to speak. Okay. Um, yeah. So I started looking at that which was available, and of the things that were um, interesting to me and where that knowledge base was acquirable and the knowledge base was acquirable in some way that had a structure around it that could lead to a practice or a vocation. Mm. The one that stood out was Chinese medicine. So I kind of hopped on that and started studying it. And how, how long did you have you studied for? I wouldn't say did you study for because I know you're still studying. Yeah, still, but, so um, I guess yeah. I, I started grad school in 2010. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of 11 years into the study of the thing, hmm. um, seven years post-grad, like seven years without a net, actually yeah. suffering the consequences of my mistakes, sure. or other people suffering the consequences <laughs> of my mistakes. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So um, so, so jumping forward a bit, um, you started training Sistema partly because you'd seen other martial arts and you started, mm -hmm. uh, and you had some background on other things, kind of dipped a toe, and then in New York started training with mm -hmm. Edgar's. At what point in your exposure to Sistema did you start to realize that it might be something that had more parallels to what you were studying in medicine, for example, than than maybe you first thought? Or did you know that before you even tried Sistema? Like, did you look at it as a martial art and then later on you were like, oh, there's some real similarities here. This is interesting. Or, or was there a, like a turning point where you're like, oh, this is this is interesting. This I can see some resonance. I don't know. I, I 
don't think it was that clear cut in my case. I mm. tend to um, jump in a little bit with both feet and what I'm doing and then kind of craft the way that I'm looking at the world. Everything gets put into that filter. Mm. So um, when I was studying combatives, there were parallels between Musashi's um, the, the five axes, right? Sure. The parallels between hips and shoulders and the way that you would coil and uncoil and those were along the lines of things that we were studying in in school and the channel okay. and those things. So it went there, but mm. everything got filtered there. So the world was also a kind of more aggressive and dangerous place because mm. everything was being filtered through. How am I going to fight my way out of the situation? Sure. So yeah. th those things are always there. Um, I guess I've always kind of always felt a little bit behind the eight ball, so always brought everything that I had to bear to solve the problem of the moment. So mm. in some regards, it's how many different ways can I think about something and how many ways are those actually the same and mm. just a change in perspective. So mm. I don't know if there was a real clear moment in that. Mm. Um, I knew... The first time I got touched by someone with a, a Sistema pedigree, it was like, oh, that's certainly different than mm. what I've experienced. Mm. Um, and that was interesting. But yeah, I don't know if there was a hard point where I was like, oh, this is obviously the same thing. Like they, yeah. the, all the things that I've done have always felt similar in a mm. sense because they were all the way that I was trying to figure out what the sure. thing was. So yeah. whether the, the, the actual overlay of those are just in my head or are sure. actual yeah. things is really hard to know. Yeah, uh, arguably impossible to know. <laughs> As mentioned in today's episode, uh, world-renowned martial arts phenomenon Martin Wheeler will be returning to North Carolina this October 21st to the 24th for our annual four-day event, the East Coast Masterclass NT. So if you haven't trained with him before, please do come and find out why top-level martial arts masters like Danny Santo and Higa Machado urge their students to train with Martin, um, and why Black Belt Magazine have labelled him the best-kept secret in the English-speaking martial arts world. This is going to be a deep multi-day exploration of fighting tactics, fusing the principles of Sistema with decades of hard-earned experience in boxing and grappling and street fighting for Martin. And this year's theme is going to be skill, strategy and intuition. We're going to work through a layered progression across all four days. Day one, Thursday, we'll be looking at grappling concepts. Day two, striking concepts. Day three, Friday, mixed martial strategies. And then day four, we'll be using Sistema as the operating system to kind of push all of the techniques and tactics from previous days into kind of instinct, implicit guidance and control. The numbers are limited and it's already about two thirds full. I think we've got about 10 spots left on it. Um, so if you do want to register, please do go to ncsystema.com slash event. That's ncsystema.com event to sign up today. Um, it's currently at 800 bucks for the four days, but if you're listening to this podcast, um, then you can put in the checkout code SFL, as in Systema for Life, at the checkout and you will get 20% off, bringing it down to $650. So enter the code SFL at checkout and you will be able to register for all four days for $650. If you're not able to make all four days, there's a weekend price of $350 and you can email me at the usual address to try and get details for that. Hope you can join us. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be all outdoors at Falls Lake. Um, no COVID restrictions this year because we're all vaccinated and sorted. So please do come join us um, 
from October 21st to the 24th for the East Coast Masterclass with Martin Wheeler. Well, we can have a good time finding out. Yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, f- from my point, like watching you develop um, in terms of your the maturity in your training, like in the, in the way that you express Sistema, um, usually I see a pathway in people coming in, right? Some people come in, a few people come in because they want to do something exotic and they want to do something that's kind of a bit different and, and they're looking for like the mind-body aspect. And then they're like, oh, this is also a martial art and along they go. Um, but my, my impression of you when you came in was very much more that you were the pragmatist, right? That you came in from the other and probably more common bent of people that want to come in to learn martial arts for the mm-hmm. sake of martial arts. And I want this to work. I want this to work now. You know, I don't want to learn anything necessarily that's outside of that field. Like, that's the way that most people come in. That's not necessarily the way you did. But like, if, you're, if I had to lean towards one bracket, you didn't come in with like, this is just like Chinese traditional medicine and I want to explore my mind through this. You came in with like, help me make this work. I, I'm, I can see some things. I can understand some things. And you, you, were, you were more concerned with the acquisition of skill, I would say, like yeah. in, your, in your early days of training. And I, I think that's common. And there's, a, there's kind of like a, a common arc in people when they train in that at some point, and Igor Ponzov has spoken to this, right, and some people get to a stage in their training where they start to a little bit let go. You know, they start to be like, actually, my attempt to try really hard to acquire the skill and make it about combatives mm-hmm. and make it work this way is actually in some way obscuring or hindering my development in the wider thing, including your combative ability. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. And I, I, ne- I never saw that as clean cut with you. And and the arc, I still can't really identify 100%. You know, whether, and sometimes you veer in and out of those things. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you veer back to like, I'm combative Gabe's and I want you to show me how this works. Otherwise, I'm not wasting my time. And sometimes you're like, I'm fascinated, curious Gabe. And I'm really interested in how this relates to other things, you know? I think um, those actually yeah. are um, self-regulating tethers. Okay. I'm mm. curious, Gabe, because I want to see what's possible. Mm. And then I switch back into combatives, Gabe, as my bullshimeter. So, like, yeah. all of those things are clever, but if it doesn't work, yeah. then I am either can't do it or I'm doing something different than what I'm being asked. So, mm. like, there, that's one of the things that I always liked about Sistema is mm. it's one of the few reasonably internal arts. I don't think mm. it's strange to discuss system sure. as an internal no, art. not at all. But there's a very practical yes-no lever, right? Yeah. You absorb the strike well or you don't, and you know that you didn't because you're crying, right? Like, it's <laughs> very straightforward. Yeah. So, like, I, I have to go back and forth, not because sometimes I think one is more important than the other, but, mm. like, because one keeps the other one in check. Gotcha. Okay, so it's more of a like a process for you that you, you, yeah. know, you like to work, like you can iterate that way, mm-hmm. um, and and then not get caught going too far off the drifty rails, either towards the like crazy combative and nothing else matters, or towards the let's drift around and talk about energy and then yeah, <laughs> it's not quite working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's. I mean, I've seen people attempt that in their own in their own ways in in different ways over the years, and and. And I, I think you strike a really good balance of it for the most mm-hmm. part. I think um, you, you come around to those. Have, have you found that what, that's a really interesting way that you're putting it when you sort of say, when you realize that you try something that seems internal, let's say, or mm-hmm. like kind of um, a bit whimsical, you know, yeah. and, and you're trying something out and, you know, passed last night and okay. had us trying, you know, over several weeks trying to understand kind of like the functionality of the spine, how you can load it in different ways, mm-hmm. um, how you can 
kind of uh, unkink the chain in his words of like chaining together the parts of the body and then do various things by um, adjusting that on the move and on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like a fundamental aspect of kind of how you restructure yourself and things like that, right? Quite deep work, quite difficult work and very difficult to do quickly. So like not always that easy to, to show mm -hmm. immediately what the practical demonstrations of those are going to be like um but the way that you put that sort of saying okay if you try some of those things and then you find that you can't do them mm -hmm. you have to make a kind of maybe you don't have to decide outright but you do have to make a decision in your head as to whether or not you think this thing is useful does work is valid and true within its mm -hmm. own frame of reference right um and that you just haven't quite got it yet do you know what i mean you're you're thinking sideways to it you're trying to categorize it in a way that's limiting the understanding and getting you to the place where it is or i'm pretty sure this thing is just bullshit do you know what i mean and i don't i don't want to lead myself down that path because i, I it's going to lead me away from understanding and that's that's a difficult call to make isn't it so, i think that that's one of the reasons why it's really important to have a good teacher hmm. right so whether it be pass or you you'll try to lead me down a road of something you have the idea you you know how you got there yeah. you know how it looks when you do it how it feels when you do it how it feels when others do it to you yeah you're trying to cultivate that talent or understanding or whatever word we're going to use in your students sure i can't either can't physically manifest that thing mm. or i don't understand what you're asking me to do or mm. something like that as long as you can do it on me and there's a reality that that's a thing, I know it's just a thing that I can't do, not a thing that can't be done. Mm. So, like, if you wanted to convince me that there was a way to learn a skill that you didn't have, mm. I would say let's table that for a little bit because I, I can't do that. Like, mm. if I can conceive of it but can't do it, that's mm. one thing. Mm. If I don't understand how it works and I have no reason to believe it exists other than your words, sure. I'm still a little bit of a skeptic of that. But sure. if you tell me do this thing, I can't do that thing, I think that thing's bullshit, and you put your hands on me, and I fall over, and you yeah. were like, that's the thing. And I was like, oh, well, I, I felt that. That was definitive. Sure. And yeah. you go, well, the way that I think about, the way that I conceive of how or what we just did mm -hmm. is this, mm -hmm. then, okay, then it's a thing that exists that I don't understand yet. There's a lot of phenomena that are real that I don't understand, so you have sure. to look at them if they exist. Yeah, definitely. Right, like... Uh, Bumblebees don't not know how to fly just because we can't figure it out. Check. And you were telling me uh, the one about the motorcycle the other day. You were yeah, yeah, yeah. Motorcycles go around curves like that just fine. Yeah. No one understands the physics behind not it. Not hundred percent. They don't. Right, but that's, like, yeah. that doesn't matter. We yeah. know empirically that that happens. So that's yeah. a real phenomenon that can't be argued with. Right, and it also means that I shouldn't be scared to lean over on a motorcycle. Right, it's just like right. no, we don't understand the physics, so yeah. I can't lean over. It's like no, you're gonna have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to lean into it. Yeah, literally. you're knowing or not knowing how something works only sometimes affects how well or not well you can do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of that kind of contact learning in my experience of mm -hmm. systemic learning and, and I've had to try and catch up cognitively yeah. with like how or why I'm doing the thing. And then sometimes I absorb something through contact learning. Um, I justify it or rationalize it in some way that I think makes sense and then end up leading myself away mm -hmm. from the actual feeling and the actual thing that I was doing. I, I try and force it into like a category or into a shape of things that isn't quite right. And that's why for me, the, um, the litmus test for that one or the way of not going too far straight is just checking in with somebody far, far more knowledgeable and, mm -hmm. and skilled than myself. You know, so every time I go back to HQ, every time I train with like Martin or Manny or, you know, somebody 
out with my skill set, right? Then I can feel, you know, whether or not I'm like, I'm going to try and do this thing. And they're like, nope. <laughs> and you can just feel the nope. And then you can also hear their interpretation of it. And then you can get a, like a, a small course correction and be like, oh, I thought I got it. But there was just that one little kind of telephone game aspect where mm-hmm. I told it to myself again and again, and I talked myself out of what it was. And now <laughs> I can't feel it anymore, right? That's yeah. a really interesting thing. I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's always the, like, hierarchies that emerge just through competence are always funny to watch. So, like, if someone told me, if, if the reality was you had the pinnacle of Sistema, it was mm. only as large as what my teacher can do, mm. that'd still be enough for me to come to class, right? Like, I think the level of skill that you have would be nice to attain. Sure. And then you're like, no, 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 no you should talk to that guy. And yeah. so like we, we go to Manami and mm. Manami was phenomenal. We're like, mm. man, that that's some high level. If that was the end of it, that would be big enough for a life study. And he was like, you think that's good. You should talk to my teacher. Yeah. Mm. And then we go and we, we mess with Martin and you're mm. like, man, if that was the end of it, that would be more than I could ever hope for. And then he mm. was like, you think that was interesting. You should see what Vlad was doing to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then we talked yeah. to Vlad and he was like, yeah, yeah, it's all very good. They're very good. I'm very good. Everyone's very good. It's wonderful. You should see what Michael's working on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, for fuck's sake, like, <laughs> what do you want us to do here? It's yeah. an endless pyramid. And then the chain ends at YouTube when everybody ridicules Michael. Right. So it's <laughs> well, everyone who's you pass your way up. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, hence the internal bullshimeter. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes, and there's a lot of concepts that are ludicrous until you felt them. And yeah. trying to have a rational conversation about how to lead it back in, yeah. how acupuncture, how I'm going to put three needles in your wrist and mm-hmm. one in your foot, and that's going to change the way that you sleep, mm-hmm. the depth of your breathing, and your bowel habits. Right, yeah. I have a lot of interesting uh, cognitive, like, conceptual models that I've been taught to do that, but none of them describe the mechanics that we believe is what we know of the human body. Sure. But I put the three needles in, and it happens, and, yeah. well, I, I can't contend with the results. I can only just kind of make up my story in sure. the meantime, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So so there's one area in which there's, like, um, a clear parallel in, the, in Sistema and in... Chinese traditional medicine, right? There are there are kind of paradigms for treatment and there are paradigms for training, right? And mm-hmm. paradigms for interaction and that sort of stuff. And we can't necessarily fully comprehend them or understand them um, before we use them sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, or rather, they become practical before we have a full understanding of them a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah before we have a complete understanding of mm-hmm. everything that's going on, right? So you can't describe exactly what's going on with acupuncture all the way down to the cellular level and be confident that you know everything that's happening. Yeah, no. And we can't understand, we can't um, describe systema to the, you know, the, the level of minute physics and biomechanics to the level like a, that an aspiring physicist might be like, oh, everything's just atoms. So sooner or later you could, you could write an equation and describe what Vlad does. You know what I mean? That kind of thing, right? So. Yeah. From, for that to be true and complete, though, you would already have to be coming from the fact that it's a semi-deterministic mechanical universe. Yeah. Right? So... I'm a huge, I'll never deny phenomena, things that exist, exist, Mm. whether I like them or not, however I feel about them, Mm. reality is undeniable, or the realities that I can perceive are undeniable. Mm. That does not mean that things outside of my perception aren't equally as valid. So like, I can't 
describe what's going on all the way through down to the smallest potential functioning unit hmm. across multiple paradigms. But one paradigm allows for um, an unknowable that can be harnessed hmm. and one doesn't. Yeah. So I kind of lean more towards... Useful paradigms. <laughs> well, useful paradigms, but paradigms that consist of um, an endpoint of the knowability without the endpoint of reality being at the same place. Wow. Which, yeah. which is tricky because that is also the direction of the road of becoming um, a crystal hippie. Sure. And I'm I'm not particularly interested in that, sure. right? But yeah. but there there's got to be something beyond what we can know. Like I mm. don't believe that the human cognitive engine, that which we can perceive, mm. can encapsulate all of reality, right? Yeah. Like we know of animals that see in different wavelengths sure. than ours. We have no idea what they're seeing though sure. because we can't see in them. Yeah. There's got to be something, if they wasn't something to be seen at that wavelength, it mm. would have been a silly thing to devote evolutionary resources to maintaining. Yeah. Okay. So we just know that there's an empirical cost-value relationship that allowed them to maintain those senses, so there's something to be seen in that place. Yeah. I can't see it. I can't contend with it. I'm not going to pretend I know what it is. Mm. But the idea that it's not affecting something that I do see seems a little bit even for my baseline level of arrogance, that's a little bit much. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the um, the martial arts equivalent of the crystal hippie is like the person that goes so far down qigong training or something that they think they can just throw people around at a distance of forty feet, and and you right. end up getting punched in the face by a Chinese MMA expert yeah. on YouTube, you know that kind and, of stuff. <laughs> and if they could do it, I yeah. wouldn't argue with them. I wouldn't tell them that the reason they thought they could do it was wrong. Mm. If they could do a thing that I can't do, I'll take their word on that's how they got there. That's mm. how they see it. If you tell me that as a result of all of your training and internal cultivation, you can harness your chi and do it and throw chi harukans across the room and knock someone off their feet, but you're unable or unwilling to do it to me. Yeah. Get old James Randi about it. Yeah, and I was 17, and I know about all the girls you slept with when you were at camp, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that that I, I don't care. I don't believe you. Yeah. So is there, um, and just to kind of, you know, play devil's advocate on this one a little bit, going around as well, is there's, there's the additional problem, not just that you sincerely believe you can do something mm-hmm. and you might be mistaken. Do you know what I mean? As a teacher or a purveyor of, sure. you know, Chinese medicine or whatever it is that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there might be the person who studies, they get good results in one area, they think they can extrapolate that to everything and they, they claim expertise that they don't quite have sometimes, mm-hmm. right? There's, that happens in martial arts and it in medicine. It happens everywhere. Yeah, right. Everywhere. Um, you know, chiropractors who think they can cure everything, you know, with right. a couple of back adjustments, you know, or whatever it's going to be. thinks they can do everything with their one particular tool is probably yeah. lying to you or to them. But the additional dangers of like um kind of deliberate charlatans right people who are who know that they can't do the thing they can do something right to you they can make you feel a certain way mm-hmm. either through martial arts or through yeah. you know some sham medicine or something like mm-hmm. that right um and then they explain or and then you're impressed by that mm-hmm. right uh, and then and then the person explains away explains it away with the methodology that they know is not true mm-hmm. but they're doing so isn't that an additional fear that people come to sometimes an, an additional you know you don't want to get sucked into crystal hippie and you don't want to get sucked into deliberate snake oil salesman mm-hmm. and like for me i don't want to get sucked into you know um 
internal martial arts fanatic who has just lost his grip on what might be real in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also don't want to get sucked into, you know, believing my own press, believing that I can do things, and yeah. then being like, well, I'm just going to make it work and make people believe that I can yeah, do things. Yeah, but I don't even think you have to go so far out into oddities of Sistema or Chinese medicine to do that, right? Sure. No, so, no, I'm saying it's, it's pretty wide in the sense. Right, but yeah. even in the most um, by-the-book things, if you're looking for results, there, there's no reason to believe ever that um, benzodiazepines cure anxiety disorders. Sure, right. Yeah. They actually make them worse, right. but in a way that you don't notice. And this is well known and documented yeah, yeah. within the literature of the field that studies it from their perspective. Yeah. So I'm not just poo-pooing yeah. that. And but, half, half the field of psychology you know, right, you're but, not repl- replicable as well. Right, but then that's the thing. So like... Mm. We're we're doing this. It creates the change that we were looking for. Maybe your metrics suck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what? Where are you going? That you you were able to find a tool or a technique that was appropriate enough mm. to solve the parts of the problem that you could see or mm. that they could feel, mm. and you just decided to eat the icing on the cake. That's mm. all that is. With absolutely no recognition of what the different ingredients and cook times were that led to that structure that you put the, the icing on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, it's a different level of it. It doesn't mean that empirically, if you have an acute problem, you should probably treat it with an acute solution. Sure. If yeah. you have a chronic problem, if you have something that's threadbare and amorphous and weird, mm. You might have to treat it with a threadbare and amorphous and weird solution, and mm. there will be no way to turn that um, solution into something mechanically um, describable. Like sure. there has to be a recognition that the degree to which we can understand this, it might have to stay vague mm. insofar as if it's appropriate to treat vagueness. Mm. It might just be that um, like dissolves like, and mm. to try to make this something that everyone's more comfortable with or I'm more comfortable with mm. may inherently have to change it its nature into something where it can no longer do that thing. Right. Yeah, that's you a good know? point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Okay, I, I, I see a rabbit hole there to go down, but I'm not going to take it because I, I think there's some other concrete things we can talk about that yeah. are going to be more uh, more yeah. more interesting to people listening. Uh, but one thing that I'll say is that um, I think some something that I've seen and certainly that I wasted a lot of time doing in my early years of teaching in Sistema was trying so hard to convince people that I'm not the charlatan and I'm not the fake. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I'm I'm neither deluding myself mm-hmm. nor you know, trying to delude you, right? I'm doing a thing and it has genuine worth. Over the years, I just stopped playing that game and going on the internet forums mm-hmm. and responding to people on YouTube. And I see people still doing that a lot. And I think it's fruitless. And I think the approach that people should take is being like, if you feel like this thing is a good fit mm-hmm. and it's helpful for you, I can show you a path in which it can improve health. It can make you feel mm-hmm. less stressed. It can give you a, a more solid understanding of your behavior. And it can really help you in self-defense if you're willing to put in the time and learn this very difficult thing, mm-hmm. which is a lot harder to learn than Krav Maga or kickboxing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you really want to learn to defend yourself quickly, 
and you have no other goals, probably go kickbox for a couple of months. Do you know what I mean? Look, if you want it quick, you know, sort of stuff. but this thing is a deep, long study that can get you to a very advanced place of self-defense along with a bunch of other ancillary benefits. If you're not ready to see that, then that's okay. I'm not here to convince you of it. And like Vlad years ago, just summed that up with like, do not chase students. You know, if they're ready, they're ready. And if they're not, they're not. And, and I feel like you, you're at the same place with Chinese medicine. Like you, you're not a proselytizer. You don't go out and tell everybody that they need to come to you. And you don't constantly defend and, you know, uh, contextualize Chinese medicine to people as if you're, you're trying too hard. And I see people doing that sometimes in other fields. And for the most part, to me, when I see people doing that, whether they're in medicine or martial arts, all I can see is the insecurity. I'm like, you're not sure. And and so everything you're doing is coming from a place of fear, right? A fear. And I think Musashi refers to it in the Book of Five Rings, where he <laughs> says it is despicable when you catch someone selling the way, mm. right? Like, I have, um, I'm certainly not a master level physician, right? Mm. I'm better than I was a year ago. I'm better than I was five years ago. My teachers are better than me. Their mm. teachers are better than them. Like we just went Describe through the, the, in too. Yeah, the, the hierarchy <laughs> of competence in yeah. the Sistema world, but that exists there. I have a degree of competence. There mm. are problems that I were able to help people solve. Some are outside of my ability. But if I see a problem that I think I can help, I'll offer. I think I might have a way around that if you haven't found a solution that works for you. Mm. But I don't need... I don't know how it works. Yeah. I don't need to convince you of how it works because I couldn't possibly. Mm. And I'm not I'm not willing to believe that my level of understanding at this point in my career or study or whatever we're going to call it should be a, a finite thing, right? Mm. Like Every time I learn something, the world gets infinitely more complicated. Sure. It yeah. doesn't get harder to navigate. It mm. just gets more complicated. Mm. This was true between yesterday and today or six months ago to four months ago. I can only imagine that like little Matrushka dolls, it goes on forever. Uh-huh. So I'm not going to try to convince you with hard facts that this way that I see it now is the way that it is for all of reality. Yeah. In terms of just being a physician, what is important is result, empirical results. Yeah. Right? So, like, that's the litmus of how clever was my theory if it yielded change. Yeah. If it didn't yield change, I'm fairly clever, fairly articulate. I can convince myself and others of almost any ridiculous thing if Mm. given enough time and in the right environment. (laughs) But that has nothing to do with whether or not your foot still hurts or you have diarrhea or you have a headache or you cry yourself to sleep every night. Like, Mm. right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I just talked myself out of a talking point. So I I, I got lost. It seems in both cases that for you, the proof is in the pudding ultimately, whether it's like medically, you can talk a big game, you can talk a big game on the martial front, but um, it has to be both. Yeah. There has to be some empirical result that you can look at and, and feel good about to know that you're on the right path and keep going. Yeah. So there's, the empirical result, the identifiable result is um, a pass or fail on at least your theoretical framework that got you there. Mm. Unless you pretend that you're or you are working out of pure instinct. I mm. don't. I, I don't work out of instinct. I don't work out of um, some sort of amorphous intuition. Mm. I have a large body of knowledge that I call from and stack together to try to make an understanding of 
the problems, quote-unquote, mm. patient sitting in front of me. Mm. And whatever my clever ideas lead me to, I do it. And if it doesn't work, my clever idea was wrong. Mm. If it does work, my clever idea may not have been right, but it was close enough to affect a change in reality in the direction that I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a step closer to, it doesn't prove my idea, but it proves a little bit of fitness to that conceptual model, mm. right? So there's, a, there's an interesting one to pull out, a different one of the, on the surface at least, differences in, in approach there for me is, you know, if I had a doctor that came to me, whether it was in Western medical training mm-hmm. or years and years of Chinese traditional medicine or Ayurveda or whatever it is, and they said, I've studied this for 20 years, I've based this upon a couple of thousand years of knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. um, and research in, insofar as it within the field, right, and, and testable things and patterns and paradigms, um, and that's what I've based things on, right? If somebody's saying that, and that's what I'm bringing to the to the conversation, to mm-hmm. the dialogue, when I ask you what's wrong with me and can you do anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're bringing to it. If somebody comes to me and says, I just have really good in- intuitions, right, or I have highly developed intuitions mm-hmm. about medicine, without that framework and without knowing that they're thinking quite deeply about how to solve the problem and they're putting it together like a puzzle, you know, like, and inside that is intuitions, right? So you have intuitions sure. about people's, um, that you, the, some of which you're not even aware of anymore. You know, you can just see shapes in people. You can see right. tendencies That's and things like that. The definition of clinical intuition. Gotcha. Is yeah. The things that you've seen so many times, you forgot you were noticing them. Yeah, and and there is, and so in martial arts, again, if somebody says to me, if somebody says that they're highly trained, they've learned lots of things, they've read lots of books, and they've studied like ancient historical European medieval sword manuals. Yeah. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to be able to. I'm like, OK, I, I understand that on a on a conceptual level, you can look at this and say, if the footwork is mm-hmm. like this, this happens. If the balance is like this, this happens. Mm-hmm. Tactically, if you do this, people tend to do this. Like, I understand that you can explain all those things to me. Mm-hmm. But if you can't express it and your body's intuitions about combat are poor or poorly developed, mm-hmm. you're useless in combat not not just ineffective but tactically useless most of the time right mm-hmm. and in sistema we're and this is one of the things that i think can delineate it sometimes from some other martial arts right the end goal is actually a place in which you are acting from intuition that you are acting from um like an open awareness and a lack of planning and problem solving do you know what i mean in yeah. some senses like that way and, and what you're actually looking for and, and the, the driver of that, the selection pressure, if you want, mm-hmm. is the fact that you couldn't possibly solve the problem quickly enough otherwise. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, um, it's like you, um, there's, there's no other way of solving that problem because it's so, so fast that you couldn't think it through before somebody can stab you, right? right. Or you on that sort of stuff. Whereas in medicine, you do have a bit more time, unless you're forced to make a diagnosis in 30 seconds, you know, or something like that. You've got so is there is there a temporal there's element a, that changes there, things? Yeah, there's definitely um, a scaling issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the necessity of immediacy and an appropriate solution to solve this moment in time is the the basis of combatives, I would say. Yeah. Right. Um, medicine, I'm not trying to solve this moment of your life. I'm trying to solve the next one. Yeah. Right? Like, you came in X problem. Halfway through the conversation we were having, you still had X problem. Mm -hmm. It might have been 
slightly varied because there was time and we can get all hippy-dippy about that, but the reality is I'm not trying to solve the problem in the moment. I'm trying to make the problem different or lesser when you wake up. Mm. It's the, the, the same way that I was making the joke the other day that I think dim mock is rude. Mm. Right. Like if you have reason and capacity to kill someone in this moment, mm. by all means, if that's the necessity and you can do it, mm. I don't find that to be a difficult thing. If you're engaged in a in a, a right now conflict and you do something that kills them in six weeks, you're a jerk. <laughs> right. Like if you need to kill them now, then kill them. Right. Yeah. But if you want them to die in six weeks because yeah. they've offended your honor, yeah. you're kind of a bitch. I'm not interested. That's not my game. <laughs> All right? Like, yeah. wrath, I'm fine with. Vengeance, not so much my gig. Mm. <laughs> cool. But, yeah, I think that that, that time scaling is also different. Yeah. Um, cool. And there are certainly the, the legends of the dragon-level physicians, the masters who you walk in and they just... No. They just know. Mm. And I don't think they just know because it was a gift from the divine. So it was a honed intuition. I, I, I believe so. I'd like yeah. to believe so. I was yeah. never um, blessed with divine vision by sure. an almighty creator as far as I can tell. So yeah. I truly hope it's an acquirable skill. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in that, at least, that that we have in common. Do you know right. what I mean? That it's like, again, Vladimir or Michael won't tell you that it's like magical, right? Mm -hmm. or, or that it just is bestowed upon you. They're like, you have to get to this place mm -hmm. or you want to get to this place, right? That mm -hmm. is the end goal. The goal is really not thinking mm -hmm. or at least having the capacity to put so much of it on intuitive autopilot that you have mm -hmm. higher capacities and you can make longer term strategic decisions. Yeah. Like I'm going to fight you and then I'm going to go over here and do this, right? So that, that longer, that bigger view. Like if so. someone was wired or conditioned to be more suitable to perfectly judge the moment mm. and act accordingly, whether in a fight or uh, in a clinical setting or something like that, and it worked, mm. then wonderful. Then they would be a really good doctor for you to go to. Mm -hmm. If they could do it in, a, in the combative environment and it just came to them so naturally that they never had to examine or cultivate how they got there, mm. they might be a phenomenal combatant and a poor teacher, mm. right? So you definitely want to hire that guy as a bodyguard, mm. but not as a teacher, right? Mm. The, so they're different things. If there was someone who, um, I think the, the word is a medical intuitive, and probably they range from... 99.998% of them being utter charlatans lying to you or lying to themselves. And mm. then maybe someone has some weird things. There's a yep. lot of weird things out there. Yeah. If one has one, awesome. They're a medical intuitive. I can walk in. They can see me in the totality of my life and my being in the context of my life and either do something or send me on a path that will resolve the problem that I asked them to. Wonderful. He can mm. charge me anything he wants mm -hmm. fine mm. but if he just if it was a gift if it was grace mm. then i'm not gonna pay him for study sessions right sure. like mm. so yeah, how are you I, gonna give me your grace right, i don't that, find yeah. anything wrong with magic users if sure. they exist by all means rock and roll i'm glad that we have some <laughs> right. of those around they're cool right but if you don't know how you got there then I don't know how your help will help me get there. Check. Or it might not be a place that one can 
aspire and attain. Yeah. Right. Those they're different things. Yeah. Right. That's like cool. yeah. I'll never be handsome. Right. That's not going to happen. I might be able to become charming, become kind, become useful, become all the things that make me attractive. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be prettier. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change what makes you attractive. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, there there's a lot of different ways mm-hmm. that things scale. Sure. Nice. Well, it's yeah. That's a really sharp. That's a really sharp delineator. I think that's a that's that's a great way to put it. That's that's nice. Uh, so um, so I realize we're we're running into in, into time, and this is you know this conversation could go so long. There's so many things we could cover, but um, I, I was really interested in talking to you about um, um, about some similarities in in the way that Vladimir and some uh, other kind of more advanced proponents of Systema have talked about relationships between people's kind of organ function or systemic function in the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how their general health and the way they look after themselves manifests in the, in the shape of emotions and, uh, and conversely how like the holding of emotions can not only be indicative of something going wrong at the systemic lesson, but level, but can also contribute to it. Do you know what I mean? Like um, yeah. the, the simple shorthand being something like, you know, if you structurally hold yourself in a slumped over position, squashing up your lungs and your liver and everything like that, you will be afraid Right, you will feel afraid, and you will feel fear, and you can generate that just by being in that structural position. And conversely, if you have something wrong with your lungs, right, or you have something wrong with your liver, it can generate certain emotions over the long term. And some of the conversations we've had, I've, I've found it's been really interesting those kind of parallels. But in Systema, it seems there's no orthodox way of teaching some aspects of the of the health thing. Right, people have got a little bit more systematic, for the want of a better word, in how to teach the uh, the physical movement. Yeah. But there's no people very rarely teach the the massage very systematically, mm-hmm. or the or these kind of tidbits of um, kind of interaction between physiology, behavior, and psychology. Right, kind of between those things, it, it's just kind of acquired in small bits that become useful over time. Do I, I know something about distance? I know something about how people behave when I'm too close to them. I know things about how people behave when you strike them. You know, like I, I can tell when somebody. You know, is is feeling afraid from their body posture, or I can tell when somebody's going to feel afraid, and and I can make use of these things in a combative situation, or to help somebody in a limited capacity in health. Right? I'm like, I don't know what the whole picture is of what's going on. You'd have to go to a doctor to know that, but I know this: if you continue walking around slumped over like that, you will never feel unafraid. Right? I know that. So just yeah, I'm interested on your thoughts on that, those things. That kind of interplay is very much at the heart of um, Chinese medicine, or. Um, most old medical traditions, which mm. were not detached from old philosophical traditions, and in many cases not the martial traditions, they were mm. a thing. the The Vedic fighting system, which we're commonly thought of as the oldest one, was mm. actually the special forces, so to speak. The were the master physicians as well. There was no dissimilarity. It was just no turn it this way, it breaks. Turn it that way, it heals. But it mm. was the same understanding of physicality. Mm. So in the Chinese medical world, um, so we would say that there's 12 channels. Most people listening have probably heard of meridians or channels and things like that. Yeah. Um, so they say, let's just for the, the sake of this conversation, let's say that the meridians are the word that we're using to discuss the major fascial bands. Okay. Um, I've spoken to you a little bit about Dr. Cohen's work um, mm-hmm. in the embryology and the tracking of the initial embryological layers and how the fetus develops and mm-hmm. looking at those 
fascial origami and everything. Yeah, the fascial origami, but yeah. if you look at the what breaks branches into what and yeah. what grows into what, they map remarkably closely to the old ideas of the channels. How mm. those guys figured it out, whole different conversation, mm. um, all speculative. Sure. But we know that there are maps when I physically am needling you, I'm needling into the fascial bands. Mm -hmm. Like that's the material I'm doing it when I'm twisting the needle, I am on purpose gathering and binding the collagen fibers around my needle to send a very particular internal elastic tension response through your body. Mm. So there is definitely um, correlation between the channels, the organs that they are named after, mm -hmm. um, the functionality of those organs, and then there's ideas of certain patterns of mind or emotions that come with them. Certainly, and it's a uh, turtles all the way up and turtles all the way down. If mm -hmm. your, let's say your liver yeah. is, um, if the fascial bands along what we call the liver channel, that not only that's wrapping around the liver itself, but as those extend out the same way that you can generate power in your elbow through how you manipulate your knee, there's a, mm. there's a connection there. Most yeah. people that train have a sense of that. Yeah. So that we'll, we'll call that a real thing, right? Mm. We can use that as a bedrock. Yeah. Okay. So those things, as they stretch out, if the problem is in your channel, then it's going to be too slack or too tight around the organ of the liver. That okay. is going to affect its function. Either it's going to be squished or it won't be contained. It'll be boggy. Mm. That you can manipulate through adjusting the channel. You can do that through deep fascial massage. If it's a matter of adhesions along that line, a good rolfer will help you out, something like that. So, so just, just out of curiosity, so let's say, um, maybe I'm kind of oversimplifying it in my head, but... Let's say, so you have a fascial band and that runs from one point in the body to another, maybe like the back of the neck down to the back of the heels or something like that, right? And I'm envisaging those bands in my, in my mind. Okay. Right, and if, is, does it kind of hold that the organ is somewhere kind of along that band? So anywhere that you needle along there will have an effect on Ty the organ? Or do you kind of go for both ends in an effort to well, adjust the tension? Typically the organ is, we could either call it the end or the beginning. It's one side of it. Okay. So here's a good one. We'll, we'll use the lungs because that's an example that's pretty easy to follow. And if anyone wants to play Simon Says while they're listening, they're welcome to. Mm. So what we would call the lung channel extends from the medial edge of the thumb down through the pad into the wrist mm. along the outside edge tracks to the... So inside edge of your forearm, right? So the inside. Yeah. So the inner surface of your forearm. So we're going from the thumb down through the base of the thumb. Yeah, down to the base of the thumb. Along the inner arm, right? To the inner part of the elbow. Yeah, um, the terminology is going to be left, right, because I still think in Chinese anatomical position where that's okay. on the inside, not the outside. So okay, I'm cool. getting confused. For people listening, they're going to... Yeah. Yeah. So if you put your hand in front of you and you trace a line from your palm... Down, down your thumb, your palm, yep. and you kind of find that groove. You can feel it, right? You can feel that kind of groove. From where you take the pulse, like kind of yeah, drag yeah, it yeah. up. Exactly. And then as you go up, right, and you just track the channel all the way to the medial point, which is lung five, right okay. there on the, in this position would be the medial side of the biceps tendon. Okay. Okay. 
and then you track that up and it comes through here. Kind of front of the shoulder. Yeah. Just kind of past the deltoid anterior. Yeah, deltoid. it goes yeah. a little bit farther to that and under the base collarbone. under the collarbone. Yeah. On the same way, the same place you would shoulder a rifle is lung two. Yeah. And then it backtracks a little bit down into the chest. And okay. And you can actually feel that when you put your hand there with a little, with a light but sensitive pressure, it'll mm -hmm. naturally track that groove, that yeah. anatomical thing is the lung channel. Okay. You can say that that is the fascial band. And then that, as it widens and becomes less dense, actually wraps around and becomes the fascia that wraps the pleural cavity. Okay. L wraps around the lungs. The lungs. Yeah. Right. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as you had us doing squats and you were having us doing shoulder rotations. Yeah. Um, as you're in the deep squat and there's that tendency to roll forward and crunch a little bit for balance and you had us playing with arms. Hmm. So... If you put outward pressure through your arms, reach out through the fingers, and the arms, yeah, yep. and then rotate the thumbs back, that okay. will naturally pull the chest up and out, and mm -hmm. it will correct your breathing. What you're doing is using elastic tension along the lung channel mm -hmm. to expand and open and pull up the pleura. Cool. The same way that if you do this, yeah, it is more difficult. The same way if you are, lungs are also to play the game. Lungs are associated with grief. Yeah. And typically, if you take your thumbs, point them up, and mm. then rotate them back as far as you can, mm. you will end up in a posture that looks quite sad. Yeah, yeah. That is the posture that the body takes when the lungs are overwhelmed. Yeah. The thing that overwhelms the lungs mm. is, in, from the emotional standpoint, in the Chinese medical thing, is gotcha. grief. It's where it's most vulnerable. So you can affect that. You can create a sad posture. Yeah. And you can create... Um, an open okay. and big posture. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a kind of tangibly example. Yeah, definitely. So what? Um, so the lungs kind of relate to grief. What are some mm -hmm. examples of what some of the other organs so, relate to? Um, different systems look at it different ways. So okay. this is mm -hmm. this is my to anyone who's listening who's a Chinese medicine dork as well. Mm. I'm pulling from my understanding of multiple different understandings in the ones that are simple enough for a quick conversation. Gotcha. So yeah. By no means am I stand, trying to, to state this as being fact. That's sure. my standard student disclaimer that everyone has to give in gotcha. a very Asian-y way. Yeah. So um, the liver. The liver mm. is often associated with, in its pathological state, is anger, aggression, mm. Um, in the healthy state, that is steadfastness, that is endurance, that is the ox, right? The ability to move indefinitely in the direction that it, it, it has chosen to, mm -hmm. right? Or we can say... And, um, and is the there point, an aspect of expansion and contraction to that as well? Is there a feeling yes. that a contracted liver will make you angry and an expanded one, in a sense, will um, be a good thing in the sense of like... Oh, or Either direction can be wrong. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could be too stubborn or too bullheaded. Yeah. Or something. More isn't gooder. Yeah. Is what they yeah. they often say. Yeah. So like, um, but so a contracted liver would be might generate a sense of it's already pulled in. It might be more under threat. Right. Mm. It might be more reactionary. Mm. 
So you might be more outwardly aggressive mm -hmm. if there is tension along that physical band, mm. whether that's because of muscle tightness mm. that affects that or because of a hepatic problem that is causing friction in that thing. So, so it can get pulled from either end, basically. So. Right. Yeah. So um, it's not that it's all one. It's not that we're just meat machines mm. and that the cognitive is merely outgrowth. I think mm. it is a larger part than most of us are comfortable admitting. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly not all one or the other. But mm -hmm. yeah, so um, if we think about the liver as part of the wood element, and this is going to have to go a little bit silly because we're. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of the wood element is the gallbladder. Right? Okay. Um, gall each element um, has two organs to it a okay. yin and a yang, a hollow and a solid, gotcha. so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so. The nature of the gallbladder as the expressive aspect of wood, when it's strong, healthy, and well-balanced, is assertiveness, mm. courage, bravery. The gallbladder is associated with courage. Mm. When it is... As in he had the goal to do it. <laughs> correct. Yeah. 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 Um, when Right. And those are coming from wildly different traditions that mm. probably never met. Right. Right. But <laughs> but there's also an association between gall, gallbladder, yeah. bile, yeah. being bilious. Yeah. Mm. Right. So those um, Hippocrates traditions and the humor traditions were probably not directly influenced by Chinese medicine. You can talk to a dork that'll say they all stem from offshoots of the Coptic medicine in Egypt. We're not playing with that because mm. I really don't know. It's just things I've heard clever people say. Right. Um, but, so insofar as that, when it is strong, but sick, mm. um, it can be aggressive, reactionary, snapping, quick tempered, quick to violence that way. Mm. If it is, um, weak and unsupported, it can be cowardice, fear, Mm. A change in threat assessment, right? The world is a dangerous hypervigilance kind of yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then if we look at the gallbladder in one of its other Chinese medicine, different versions pair things differently, mm. which can be confusing if you want it to make sense and can give you a huge amount of freedom of thought if you're creating a web of tensegrity structures, mm. right? So where were we? The gallbladder we, we were just thinking for a few examples of all. You don't have to go through more than one okay. by one, but I just want to give no, people no. a concrete idea. No, no, I had a line of thinking that I thought would be useful, and then I lost it. So okay. just bear with me just one moment. As you just described most of my life. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem is often when you go a little bit farther afield, the footing's a little bit less stable, and it's easier to lose your way. Just keep flannelling until you come back to your point. That's the Murphy way, don't <laughs> Right, but there's no fears. Yeah. That was an oversight on my part. <laughs> it is a little early. Um, Nuts. So, right. So if we take the gallbladder in another association, it's also thought of part of the movement that regulates um, boundaries, mm. the, the internal and external membrane responses. And mm. you can take this turtles all the way up or down mm. if you so care to as far as it remains useful. Sure. Right. But 
Um, you can treat certain types of fever, particularly the ones that have what we would call the malarial presentation of alternating hot and cold fever and chill patterns, mm. that it can't tell if the problem's too much or too little. There's a boundary issue. Mm. You treat things by what we would say clearing Xiaoyang, and Xiaoyang is the layer of the body that consists of... Um, the fascial bands on the outside that deals with borders and you open that up and you allow a little bit of movement there. It is much of what um, the herbs I gave for Sean. Sure. And it was that repetitive pattern that couldn't resolve. It wasn't strong enough to cause a problem enough to treat. It wasn't weak enough that it wasn't, that it would just go away. Yeah. It was stuck in that in-between, in that kind of liminal space. Mm. You can shunt that in one direction or the other. Mm. Ideally, you always want it to shunt outside because if there's a problem that is just strong enough that you can't resolve it, you certainly don't want to send it inside, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that, that type of thing. Um, cool. So you would treat that by forcing the gallbladder, right? You mm. want to use that expressive, expansive, aggressive energy to knock it the fuck out. Right, yeah. And, nice. and then it goes that way. So cool. things like that. So yeah, the, there's definitely certain aggressive. This might be useful um, for the systemic context is the gallbladder channel traces kind of the outside of the ribs. It's the outside portion, the IT bands hmm. coming up through the ribs. Like the lateral line in Thomas Myers kind yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. So from just outside of nipple line to just outside of shoulder blade line across mm. the arc of the ribs down through the hips and the IT band. Mm. The outside of the ankle or is it kind of wrapped? Yeah, it goes yeah. all the way down that way. Yeah. Um, and then comes up around the head, but it also travels through the traps. And mm. you know exactly what someone looks like when they're hot and ready to fight, yeah. right? Traps are traps up. up yeah. Chest out, mm. breathing high in the chest. Yeah, flared out like a snake at rhythm. Flared out like yeah. a chest. Like yeah. they're, they're not posturing. Yeah. That is the shape your body takes mm. when it's go time right now and you're fighting for right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. If you're in that posture, when you're not in that situation where you don't need to bring to bear every part of expressive, responsive, reactionary aggression, and there's mm. times for it, mm. if you're in that state when you don't need to be, that's going to be unhealthy. Yeah. Right. If you train right. to be in that state all the time, for right. example. Yeah. And, and what's your typical solution to that? You usually hit them really hard on the trap <laughs> in a manner that the only way to deal with it is to crumble into yeah. submission almost. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Right. You, oh, oh, that level of baseline um, idle um, aggression that I was carrying was not appropriate for the situation. And I know because that just overwhelmed its capacity, whatever I thought it was doing for me yeah. was just utterly overwhelmed by someone dropping their forearm on me. Yeah. And it, it, awesome. it takes it out of the body. And when it's out of the body, you get a chance to not to deactivate the feedback cycle. It's yeah. not that you can't be upset for cognitive reasons. Yeah. But when the body notices that and it keeps it going, even if you are no longer have good reasons to be angry, your body is still in that posture. Yeah. And it is still telling you, 
you, you, you should trust your body, right? Like your body's like, I'm in scared posture. Your brain will be like, well, there's probably something scary around. Yeah, right. Right? And that's so how it, we interpret the world. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you can at least pull the body out of that responsive pattern, whatever mm. the emotional state is or wherever the pathology is, mm. you give the mind a chance to see the world maybe a little bit closer to how it is or at least not filtered through that lens. Perfect. Yeah. When that lens is applicable again, trust me, your body will come up with it. You're not yeah. going to lose your ability to go into drive. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, but nice. that's, uh, I guess, an example. Perfect. Yeah, that's and that kind of, I guess, it brings it me to probably to my last question, which is, you know, for me, I've tried to pull in aspects of like my training and my knowledge mm-hmm. and other things, right? So I'm constantly infusing my teaching or interpretation of Sistema. Mm-hmm. Um, insofar as I don't think it's leading people astray, hopefully, uh, with ideas that get pulled in from neuroscience, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've talked about polyvagal theory and just uh, the states of kind of activation of the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, and how that can push and pull on you in similar kinds of ways, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or concepts like the OODA loop, you know, and like how that changes our our perception of things and Mm -hmm. what kinds of psychological experiences can lead to hypervigilance or even how neurologically you learn movement, right? How some ways of learning movement are easier than others. So for me, I feel like neuroscience and physiology and kind of confluences of understanding and simplifications in that can really help the learning of Systema in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like as long as you don't think that you're shoving a square peg into a round hole and you're trying to explain away a bunch of phenomena in Sistema. Do you feel like, and and to me it seems like the answer to this is pretty unequivocally yes, do you feel like like Chinese traditional medicine and related disciplines can be a real, can kind of inform your practice of an understanding of Sistema in a way? Can, can they feed into it and enrich it? Because like I said, there's no there's no kind of methodology for people if they want to understand those relationships between liver and mm-hmm. surface or between posture and emotion. Like there's no descript way of learning that and there aren't classes for it within Systema, but it is taught, but it's taught in a very kind of asystematic kind of sc- scattered right. way, right? So do you feel like there would be, there's a place for learning that and being like, well... Yeah, yeah. and again, like we were talking about um, the, the known, the knowable, the unknowable... Um, hmm. I'm just using the language by which I was taught it through. I don't yeah. believe that that's real. Right? Okay. Like, I don't believe that that is mechanically that. It mm. is a remarkably powerful conceptual model sure. in its internal consistency. Yeah. But I don't think that that is the only way to describe it. Yeah. Right. So I think what we may be missing is a way to a take language. those... Asso- yeah, a common language, a way to take those associations within um, practically accessible um, frames of mind, right? Mm. So to learn Chinese medicine as a Westerner, I had to be able to cultivate the ability to whatever fabrication I could of how an old, uh, an ancient Asian would have viewed the world through their cultural context. Yeah. Right. So those are things you kind of have to add on to make use of their metaphor. Metaphors outside of context are just words in weird orders. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way you do it, the Chinese medicine is another way of discussing it as neuroscience. So when you're discussing po- polyvagal theory, hmm. heart rate variability and hmm. those things, 
and uh, we could also, I, I, I see your explanation and I raise you and the liver is yeah. an aspect of what controls the diaphragm and the, and the vagus nerve runs through the diaphragm mm -hmm. and affects heart rate mm -hmm. and affects breathing rates and the lungs are the minister of timing and we know that you can affect your heart rate by your respiratory rate and mm -hmm. your all of those things. So it's just a different conceptual model yeah. in order to think through an endlessly complex system. Yeah. I think neuroscience is doing the same thing. Yeah. I think that neuroscience has the downfall of being convinced that since it knows a thing it can measure, that's the thing it's looking at. Yeah. And I think that Chinese medicine has the problem of saying since you can't measure the thing I'm looking at, it can be anything I want it to. <laughs> right. So... Both methods have shortfalls, but they yeah. often, if you have, I don't know, a flexible enough lens, a lot of these things say the similar things or yeah. can address it the same way without falling into the Deepak Chopra. What I'm saying is, oh, yeah, they prove that with quantum mechanics. Well, you're yeah. not a physicist and you're kind of a schmuck anyway. <laughs> but, but that thing, yeah, I absolutely think that there's viable stuff there. And I think that the pedagogy and the way we learn how to relate to our bodies and systema has been super useful to me and in order to clarify my understanding in the medical world mm. i don't believe i could have reversed it from the conceptual to the embodied mm. but finding those things that are undeniably happening in the moment hmm. can be conceptualized for me through that framework and that leads into other insights of connection hmm. but my my understanding of chinese medicine in no way made me a better systema person but my study of systema has given me a very tangible, reliable litmus uh, studying mechanism, um, mm. my gabeometer, mm. right, to, to do that. So if, and I, I can play, I see it in myself, right? Like I know it's not surprising when I walk into onto the mat in a particular type of bad mood, regardless of what it is, if I take a moment to step back, I'm almost never surprised that I'm tight along the areas of the body that are governed by the channels that are associated with that particular type of bad mood I'm in, hmm. right? So it, it kind of shows itself. Sure. But maybe if you hadn't you know, studied so much systemic, you wouldn't have taken that time to see it in yourself. I, I and you, would have, you might have been the quintessential doctor who heals everybody else but chain smokes and feels terrible and you know, <laughs> does all those things all the time. Well, yeah, like I, sometimes, did, like, I did grind my body into the ground and give myself a kind of really funky weird autoimmune neurological <laughs> condition like so, so yes yeah. i absolutely did yeah mm -hmm. yeah so yeah and um and part of my learning how to untravel that road so to speak has mm -hmm. been greatly informed by systema and actually getting a sense of what my body feels like from the inside out and knowing where it's stuck rather than thinking my way through a problem like i'm yeah. just, like i said i'm I can convince all sorts of people of bad ideas, myself included, and I have run that road to near ruin. Yeah, and right with nice. with nice other places to draw from, been able to work back from it to a large degree. Awesome, bro. Well, I've certainly learned an immense amount over the last five years, like just from conversations with you, right, as we've gone along and just kind of bantering these things backwards and forwards. So. Here's to a common language, and even if we never arrive at a common language, I think the effort to find one informs everything and as helps everyone. As long as it's not Esperanto. See. Sí. <laughs>
Well, thanks, man. Uh, I'd love to get you back on and talk to talk some more because uh, we feel like, I feel like we exhausted maybe half a percent of what we could have talked about in this area. So, um, but it was great to finally get uh, get an introduction um, to to the to the systemic community folks here. If people are interested in in what you do um, yeah, and, um, and they want to find out about more about your if, practice, how how would they get hold of you? So, I guess if you're local to the area, um, mm-hmm. then you probably know me through the group. But if not, um, my website is centermedicine.com. Awesome. Um, if you're not local to here, my the nature of my work requires a bit of hands-oniness. So, so I'm not a, so much telemedicine. I'm a yeah. little used to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you have questions about, if you're interested in Chinese medicine, um, I guess you could send me an email, and I'll try to see if I know someone or know of someone in your area, or if you have a particular point you're interested, I might be able to point you to a book. Great. But I'm Okay. I have a bit, yeah, but I'm certainly not the authority, so I'll point you where I can, but I don't gotcha. know how much help I can I can be at a distance, but I'm happy to try. Awesome. Thank you, man. And the model of humility in it as well. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.